Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. School confusion. What we need to have right now is a low threshold for keeping kids home. Mixed messaging about when to send kids back to class after illness. The COVID closure relief grant. We're losing on average between twenty dollars and $25,000 a month when we're closed. A promise of help from the B.C. government that might be too little too late. And pothole problems. The rough ride that's damaging a lot of vehicles and why there's no quick fix. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Omicron outbreak continues and parents across BC are struggling with when they should send their children to school. And when they should keep them home. As Richard Zussman reports, critics are saying the government's messages aren't helping. It's the Omicron dilemma. When should kids stay home from childcare or school? If he's exposed to COVID through someone or if he's showing symptoms. Our personal approach would be anytime there's any indication of illness. The question then is for how long? If it's mild and it goes away in one or two days, then then they're fine to go back to school. But that advice is creating confusion. This guidance from the Victoria School District borrowed from the BC CDC says something very different. Fully vaccinated kids with COVID and COVID symptoms must isolate for at least five days. The same for those who are close contacts with no symptoms. For not fully vaccinated kids, so basically anyone under the age of 12, they must isolate if they are a close contact for at least 10 days. If they have COVID symptoms and test positive, their isolation may be as short as five days. I can tell you I'm hearing from parents across the province that that lack of consistency is causing all kinds of confusion. Adding to the confusion, the fact testing is nearly impossible to get. And whether parents should assume any cold or flu-like symptoms is COVID. Because testing is limited, we're, we have, there's some confusion about what we should be doing when we don't yet have a positive test, if we can even get one. Henry also at odds with the CDC on close contacts. Non-symptomatic kids, she says, they can go to school. The CDC says they shouldn't. It's really complicated. Um, there aren't that many situations um, overall, and uh, perhaps something, a simple communication, like some sort of flowchart diagram might be helpful. There's also a difference between schools and daycare. Some daycare parents being told that if their child is a close contact of a COVID case, they can't step foot in the daycare for at least 10 days, causing more confusion and huge challenges for parents. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And the Delta Board of Education is bringing in a proof of vaccination requirement for all of its employees. The board announcing late this afternoon staff will have six weeks from next Monday to disclose their status. Those who are unvaccinated or fail to disclose by the deadline will have to take an unpaid leave of absence or submit to regular rapid testing. 
The pandemic continues to take a toll on nearly every sector of our health care system. Due to staffing shortages, Life Labs has announced it's being forced to close 11 of its service centers in B.C. and adjust the hours of five others. The company stresses it's a temporary measure and the situation will be closely monitored over the next couple of weeks. In order to maintain service, Life Labs says some staff are being redeployed. Customers and healthcare providers will be redirected to other locations. All right, let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for the past 24 hours. There are 500 people in hospital. That's up 31. 102 of those patients are in the ICU. Six more people have died from complications of the virus. And there are now more than 36,000 active cases, including 2,612 new cases. And there's concern tonight about a growing list of outbreaks at hospitals leading to some closures. Aaron MacArthur is live with more on that for us tonight. Aaron, we want to be clear, emergency departments are still open, but we're seeing more outbreaks reported by hospitals lately. Yeah, Chris, hospitals no different than anywhere else. Omicron is spreading fast. Fraser Health, probably the hardest hit right now. It is the biggest health region in the province. Seven outbreaks now. Three declared already at Surrey Memorial, Eagle Ridge Hospital, and uh, Royal Columbian Hospital. But four more were added today. Abbotsford Regional Hospital, Langley Memorial Hospital, Burnaby Hospital, as well as Peace Arch. And then Kelowna General in the interior also has an outbreak. These are all units specific outbreaks, a handful of patients, maybe a dozen patients in each. They're not affecting the hospital at large, but each of these units has been closed for further admission until the outbreak resolved. We asked Fraser Health about the emergency departments and and whether people should go in and, and if they're sick, as you say, people should go in if they're sick, but if they feel concerned about being sick and going to the ED, what should they do? Here's what they said. We, we have very, um, very rigid uh, protocols in place to, to keep people safe in the, in the emergency department. We have a screen at the front door. We ask people about their symptoms, their, uh, their contacts. Um, that's every single person comes into hospital, whether a patient or a visitor. Now, Dr. Murray also did say that the game is a bit different if you do have COVID. Self-isolate, stay at home, but if the illness proves too much for self-care, then showing up at the emergency department, probably not your best option. Call, talk to your primary health care physician. Talk to 811-911 in that case. Chris. All right. Aaron MacArthur reporting live tonight for us. Thanks, Aaron. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry now with more on those hospital numbers that keep going up, Keith. And uh, if what we're seeing in hospitals in other parts of the country foreshadows what's about to happen here, that's pretty concerning. It is concerning, Sophie. So again, the focus is now on hospitalizations and ICUs. And BC's numbers are going up significantly. 101 people yesterday tested positive for COVID-19 in BC hospitals. I'll have more, more on that in a moment. But take a look at what's going on in Ontario. And this is where health authorities here fear where we're headed. Ontario now today reporting almost 3,500 hospitalizations, more than 500 people in ICU. Compares to BC's numbers of 500 hospitals and 102 ICUs. But on a per capita basis, if we were in the 
same situation that Ontario is in right now. Look at the numbers there. We would have more than 1,100 people in hospital and 165 people uh, in ICU. That's a per capita basis. We are catching up to Ontario. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to get there. Uh, we're going to get a briefing on Friday from Dr. Henry and Minister Dix. Uh, right now, Ontario, about 50% of the cases in hospitals in Ontario are what called incidental ICU cases. These are people who go to hospital to get surgeries uh, already scheduled, whether it's hip replacement or whatever, joint replacement surgeries. And when they get in there, they test positive for COVID-19. Uh, about 50% go to hospital because they've got COVID-19 and they're feeling sick. We're going to get some stats in BC on, on Friday to see if that's what's happening in BC. I suspect that's what's happening in BC. Not all those 500 cases in, uh, in hospital right now are there because they feel sick from COVID. They're also there because they tested positive going in to get medical attention for other matters. We'll know more Friday morning. And that ICU number, of course, is very important to keep exactly. an eye on as well. All right, Keith, thanks for that. A number of B.C. businesses say the provincial government's COVID relief program that was launched today will do little to keep them from going under. As John Watt tells us, gyms and fitness centres are among those taking the hardest hit at a time of year when they're usually at their busiest. Seeing this equipment left unused day after day is probably the heaviest weight Nick Johnson has ever had to carry. The 10 years that we put into building this business, the scratching and clawing could all be gone. A complete shutdown of his anytime fitness locations, crushing gyms at a time when they're normally building the core of their business and strengthening the books for the rest of the year. Any operator that pushes towards fitness is just getting beaten up right now. Johnson hoped in the three weeks since the province first announced its closure relief grant, BC's jobs minister was looking for additional ways to help businesses survive. Businesses currently ordered closed like bars, lounges, nightclubs, gyms and fitness centres can apply for grants starting today. Instead, it was the same initiative Johnson says doesn't come close to easing the burden of being closed. It's a drop in the bucket. It, it, we're still losing a huge amount of dollars every extra day that the province chooses to keep us shut. The amount of business receives is a climbing scale based on the number of employees. The base amount is $1,000 with no staff. One to four employees gets you two grand. Five to 99 people on the payroll puts you on pace for $5,000. A business will need to hit 100 or more employees to hit the max interval of 10,000 bucks. Kellon says on top of the grant, businesses can still apply for federal wage and rent subsidies. We're all losing about twenty dollars to $25,000 a month after the grant, after the wage subsidy. Businesses that disobey provincial health orders can't apply for the grant. Johnson says even though Anytime Fitness is following the rules with zero exposures, it feels like they're being punished. It is gut-wrenching and we just try to hold on every single day that we can. Without a proper spot from the province, local businesses say it's only a matter of time before the weight of closure becomes too much. John Hua, Global News. Well, still no timeline on how long it will take to fully repair parts of the Vancouver seawall that were damaged in last week's storm. As Grace Key reports... Parks Department says the job of assessing that damage is more difficult because the damage we can see may, might not be the full story. 
At the Stanley Park seawall, the focus right now is to remove all the debris in preparation for even more king tides. Logs are coming down the Fraser River from past atmospheric river events. They become, you know, projectiles in the water that just sort of bash against that seawall and the, those copings and, and those older wall sections against our wooden structures, our piers. And they have really been the cause of the greatest damage that we've seen in this most recent storm event. As for the extensive damage from Friday's storm, it could take weeks for a full assessment. When asked if it was possible for an indefinite closure, we were told nothing is off the table at this point. It's a very, very, very high priority. You know, all of our attention is on this right now, but we, we are also pulled in many directions uh, with, with our work here at the Park Board. But this is this is number one priority for us right now. Over the years, sections of the seawall that have been restored fared well in the storm. Repairs could be tackled with continued incremental improvements or something that would meet our climate change needs. But that would take time and they want to get those seawall sections open as quickly as possible. And that's likely the path we'll take is sort of a... I don't want to say a quick fix, but uh, an appropriate solution to reopen it as soon as possible. We will be thinking long term as well. You know, there may be some sections that are inaccessible, but perhaps the majority of the seawall will be reopened. But there may be some sections that will take us longer. But cost will be another issue. We're going to be seeking funding from senior levels of government, from the federal government, um, from the province. And and there may be an opportunity for the public to be involved. You know, the people who use the seawall every day and love it. Um, we're we're going to leave no stone unturned here. Like we we're going to need help. This is next level type of funding uh, magnitude that we're talking about. With heavy machinery in the area and damage that might not be visible, the public is being reminded to stay away from the area. Grace Key, Global News. The heavy rainfall pounded the south coast just as it was forecast, and that's a challenge in a region that's still cleaning up from November's devastating storm. There is some localized flooding in parts of Metro Vancouver, including this Home Depot parking lot in Burnaby. Abbotsford residents were out grabbing sandbags early this morning, preparing for the worst. There is particular concern for Claiborne Village. So far, though, Claiborne Creek has not breached its banks, and the level of the Nooksack River in Washington State actually dropped a little bit earlier in the day. Abbotsford's mayor remains optimistic. Sumas Prairie, our dike is up to, uh, actually it's higher than it was before the flood. So uh, the breach of course was fixed. Uh, the pumps are uh, uh, running, not full tilt. Uh, there's one or two of them running, maybe three today. But uh, so we are as prepared as we can be for this atmospheric river. There is still a lot of concern the situation could change quickly and residents are being urged to keep an eye on their properties. 50 to 100 millimeters of rain is expected to fall in the Fraser Valley before this weather system completely leaves us. And we'll get more details on that in a minute. It's not just the rain, though, and potential for flooding. There's a considerable avalanche risk right now, too. We'll bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon with the details. Christy. 
Well, Chris, it's really the rain that's causing the avalanche risk. All of that uh, rainfall on a substantial snowpack really creates unstable conditions. So here's a look at the regions under a high avalanche risk. It's basically all across southern BC mountains, including Sea to Sky and all of the uh, South Coast mountains. Uh, for more information on that, you can go to Avalanche Canada. Lots of information there, but it should be noted we did have avalanches uh, today on Highway 99 between Pemberton and Lillooet. It's currently closed because of that. We also have have a number of regions with avalanche control going on and a washout on Highway 1. So all of those routes currently closed right now and that Highway 1 in various locations. When I come back, the rainfall warning has ended, but I'll show you why we're not completely out of the woods just yet, Chris. All right, look forward to that. Thanks, Christy. Well, if you've had to drive anywhere in southwestern BC over the past few weeks, you have probably noticed it has been a pretty bumpy ride in spots. Potholes have been taking a toll on tires and rims. And as we hear from Emadagahi, the crazy weather we've had this winter is taking much of the blame. Oftentimes, you don't see them until it's too late. It's awful <laughs> driving in it. I don't think my car can handle it anymore. And especially on days like this when tire-hungry potholes are using puddles as disguise. It's so hard to say because this filled water, right? Cars are going over them. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger by every car. You end up seeing more debris on the side of the road. Now there's more rocks flying up as well. If it seems like a bigger problem this year, that's because it is. Since the beginning of January, the city of Surrey has heard about 300 calls for pothole repair, a 50% increase. Already this month, the city of Vancouver has responded to 197 pothole calls, also a 50% increase from its monthly average. Down on Marine, they're so bad and they're so deep. You kind of, you're just kind of off flying. Feel like just like garlic jumping. Experts in the paving industry say the extreme cold, the snow, and all those plows on our roads lately are to blame. Ice and water is getting in between all the cracks, which is allowing segregation in between. So the top layer of the asphalt is just popping off. And fixing the problem isn't as simple as filling in a pothole, because usually a larger section surrounding the spot needs paving, which also requires better weather. Sometimes see roads that get neglected and they got patches all over the place. You see the patch and then it just kind of looks like a, uh, one of those, one of those Blankets your grandma sewed together, you know what I mean? <laughs> Quilt, there you go. For now, it may be best to slow down and try to avoid the big potholes, but sometimes that's easier said than done. Amadagahi, Global News. Their million-dollar home started sinking into the ground three years ago. Now, some homeowners in the condemned Sea Watch development on the Sunshine Coast just scored a small victory that gets them closer to some compensation. That's next on the News Hour. Trouble on the tarmac at YVR. The fire that wasn't quite as bad as it seemed from afar. That's coming up. And cats on the box. A mixture of frustration and humor that's turned into a social media sensation. That's coming up later. Right now, though, a small victory for some of the former residents of a Sunshine Coast subdivision who were forced from their homes by sinkholes almost three years ago. The province has been ordered to compensate two of the displaced families, but as Ted Chernecki reports, the money won't even come close to what they and other families have lost. 
Well, a big 20 by 40 foot sinkhole open from here to here. It was Christmas Day 2018 when a 12 meter deep sinkhole developed on the road leading to the Sea Watch neighborhood in Seashelt. Within a couple of months, the municipality, using BC's Emergency Power Act, applied for and received a local state of emergency. The residents of 12 homes had to leave immediately, but a local state of emergency is good for seven days only. But the province has renewed that 138 times. It cannot keep rubber stamping the state of local emergency every seven days when there's such dire consequences for homeowners. In his ruling, Justice Jeffrey Gomery describes the province rubber stamping each application as an excuse for inaction. He's ordered the province to pay Rosewald about $108,000 for the cost of moving, furniture and renting. The Lathams also get $91,000 for the same reasons. For those who thought they'd be living in relative luxury with an ocean view, life's been very hard. Expenses, losses, increasing damages, I suppose. Some of the folks have outstanding mortgages uh, secured by a home that is worthless. The 12 properties are at the end of Gale Avenue and North Seashell. BC assessments for 2022 have the homes still valued at $2, a dollar for the home and a dollar for the land. Just down the road, many of the waterfront properties with more modern homes are assessed near the $2 million mark. And that only adds to the former residents' anxiety. How will they ever be able to buy back into a market that's gone up two to $600,000 in just a year? For some civil servants, uh, they're looking for just an excuse to uh, push responsibility into another level of government. Passing the buck is one way of looking at it, uh, for sure, in terms of you know our expenses, but it's also burying their head in the sand. They put the barricades up and well, haven't spoken to us. A law firm representing the two homeowners who won their cases is now urging the province, Seashelt, and the homeowners to sit down and hammer out a settlement that's fair and avoid what could be years in court. Ted Chernock, Global News. Coming up, a new rule that could cripple the trucking industry. The ports plan to cut emissions. The truckers say will cut their livelihoods. And the emergency calls that just won't stop, overwhelming the ambulance service. Winter maintenance continues over here at the Portman Bridge. You're going to see the HOV lane blocked and just some minor delays in both directions as a result. With BCAA Car Insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit BCAA.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. BC truckers say a new regulation by the Port of Vancouver that takes effect next month could make our supply chain issues worse by sidelining trucks. As Nitu Garcha reports, the port will soon bar entry to all trucks older than 10 years, a requirement truckers say will do more harm than good. BC truckers are trying to put the brakes on the Port of Vancouver's rolling truck age program set to kick in on February 1st. They should have like, you know, a different approach to climate control. Because he says banning trucks 10 years and older doesn't make sense as they operate well below the allowable diesel emission standards under BC's Motor Vehicle Act. It's not a law under BC or under Canada, it's just their own policy. 
In a letter to the port from its legal counsel, the United Truckers Association highlighting the significant expense to truckers and an extreme shortage of inventory at dealerships. And it, for the shortage of those new trucks, the outside market for the used trucks, there are, there's a big shortage and prices are three times than it used to be a year before. The federal transport minister tweeting in support of the truckers' pleas. Omar Al-Gabra acknowledging its goal of becoming the world's most sustainable port while encouraging the development of an actionable, fair and data-driven plan, but not ordering a change to the policy. If you take out a couple of hundred trucks right now, when we have these supply chain disruptions and vessels in the harbour, uh, that's just going to make a bad situation even worse. Citing time constraints, the port denied our request for an interview, sending us a recorded statement instead of answering specific questions. The statement saying in part the port's been working on this policy for over a decade and emissions from older trucks pose a threat to air quality. It's the tone-deaf attitude of the Port of Vancouver that caused the dispute in 2014 and the way they're acting these days, it looks like they're asking for another dispute. I can't afford to buy a new or few-year-old truck. So either way, I have to find another job. Then. They're calling for a program postponement and the start of a working group under Transport Canada's umbrella rather than the ports. Neetu Garcha, Global News. It's a new era for First Nation near Enderby. The Splatchin First Nation has elected a new chief, replacing the chief who served seven consecutive terms. Former Splatchin councillor Doug Thomas is the newly elected chief, besting longtime chief Wayne Christian by just five votes. Along with congratulations to the new chief, there are tributes to the legacy of the outgoing leader. The fact that he's been around on and off for over 40 years, that's a monumental uh, effort for anybody. Uh, it shows such extreme dedication. If I had to describe Wayne in three words, I'd probably say dedication, strength, and character. A tremendous amount of work that he's done. And really, it's uh, opened the doors uh, for many of chiefs like myself and many of the chiefs uh, uh, locally in, in the province and across Canada to carry on that work. The new chief says his priorities include improving housing, providing drug addiction services, and educating the public about residential schools. Congratulations to the new chief. Now, coming up, the staggering increase in overdose calls. Well, it's a fail. More evidence of a system overwhelmed. And a skateboarding legend teams up with a local musician for a project that's got both of them stoked. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening, two lanes north and one south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge, and traffic is pretty steady in both directions, with just some minor congestion for southbound traffic through the Stanley Park Causeway. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Some anxious moments today at the YVR South Terminal when a van caught fire near some planes. The vehicle belonging to North Caribou Air experienced an engine fire while parked on the apron. 
According to the airport authority, fire and rescue responded quickly and extinguished the fire. No one was in the vehicle at the time. No one was injured, no aircraft damage, and operations were not impacted. A man who allegedly vandalized Vancouver's Komagata Maru Memorial has been charged. Vancouver police say mischief charges have been approved and arrest warrant issued for 39-year-old Yunia Kurniawan. Last August, the memorial was defaced with white paint, handprints and graffiti. The vandalism prompted a huge community outcry. After a four-month investigation, Vancouver police were able to collect evidence, identify and charge a suspect. And Vancouver police are looking for witnesses to a troubling incident over the past weekend where two women say they were chased. The victims were standing at a bus stop near Commercial Drive and Gravely Street at about 2.30 in the morning on Saturday when two men in a black truck circled them a number of times making lewd comments. The passenger then got out and went after the women who were able to get to a safe place and call 911. Police are looking for a man described as six feet tall wearing glasses and a grey and black t-shirt. BC's already strained emergency health services are facing additional pressure from the record number of overdose calls. New figures show a significant spike in volume across the province. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, it's prompting renewed calls for access to safer supply. BC's overdose crisis has set yet another troubling record. Newly released statistics reveal that in 2021, paramedics responded to 35,525 overdoses, an increase of 31% over the previous year. Well, it's a fail. I mean, anytime you see um, increases month after month, day after day, year after year, uh, that just shows you that uh, we haven't done enough. Emergency Health Services says overdose calls were up in Vancouver Coastal by 24%, 45% in Fraser Health, Island Health saw a jump of 32%, Interior Health was up 29%, Northern Health had an increase of 16%. And it's a matter of minutes before they actually will lapse into cardiac arrest. So for paramedics, it's a very intense uh, call to deal with. Because we have to resuscitate these people and get oxygen into the Narcan, which you've heard of. We have to do this very quickly and very efficiently to keep these people alive. Some communities saw numbers even more dire. Overdose calls in Courtney jumped 127%, Cranbrook 84%, and Mission had 82% more overdose calls in 2021. They have to make sure that they don't partake in this alone. They need to have somebody with them. So if that horrible situation of an actual overdose does happen, somebody's able to phone 911. The record-breaking number of overdose calls are prompting renewed demands for access to safer substances. Well, you don't need a prescription to buy a bottle of alcohol. You shouldn't need a prescription to access substances either. A safe supply, necessary, say advocates, who fear the overdose numbers will only get worse if there isn't change. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Still ahead, the the couple boxed out in Nanaimo. He's been up there for the last couple hours. That's right, a Vancouver Island couple and their Vitamix blender held hostage in a cat standoff playing out on Facebook. 
But first, Nation Skate, the boarding movement that's helping people heal. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Ice jams are causing flooding concerns in BC's southern interior. The Similkameen River is filled with ice and that causes water levels to fluctuate. The regional district of Okanagan Similkameen is monitoring the river levels and has issued evacuation alerts for nearby areas. One resident says the community wants to see more help from the provincial government. We feel orphaned. And during that 2020, during the 2021 flood in November, the residents along this river were on their own because they had to look at the other municipalities and the larger problems. So we worked for three weeks personally on our own. We worked for three weeks, 10 to 12 hour days to get us stabilized so we could still run our business. District officials are asking residents there to make sure drains are clear of any debris and to keep away from icy waterways. All right, Christy Gordon is back with a look at our forecast. If it's not one thing, it's another, it seems these days, Christy. Yeah, we've had absolutely everything. Ice, snow, uh, gosh, you name it, really. Uh, so if you can tell that the it, conditions are dry right now, we're seeing actually a little bit of a gap in the system. It's actually shifted north of our region. But as I mentioned earlier, we're not totally out of the woods just yet. Uh, here's a look at the rivers and streams right now. This is one of the uh, creeks in through North Vancouver, and they are running high. So although we're seeing a break in the action right now, we do have some more rain on the way for tomorrow. And always there's a lag effect for the rivers and streams. So even though the rain has ended, it will, all the water will still make its way down uh, the rivers and streams or down the mountains and uh, continue to um, make those rivers and streams peak, likely overnight tonight, but we could see it into tomorrow morning. So steer clear of them. Uh, so far, we've had 115 millimeters of rain in the North Shore Mountains. That was the hardest hit region, west coast of Vancouver Island as well. But uh, look at Abbotsford, 66, which is substantial, but out towards Hope, it was far less. Uh, nonetheless, a significant atmospheric river, considering it really really only hit us for about 24 hours. This is what we're expecting overnight. Most significant rain will happen across the west coast of Vancouver Island. And that's because that system is really in through those regions. It will just slide across our region overnight and ease off tomorrow morning. Far north, a fair amount of sunshine. In fact, some breaks of blue sky and through southern BC as well. There is a risk of freezing rain in the Vailmont tomorrow, so keep your eye out for that. And for the south coast, we'll see mild conditions once again. We're well above seasonal. We do have a few showers in the forecast but overall it should be mostly dry and especially into Friday and Saturday. So after this, after the rainfall tonight, we're really looking at several or three dry days on the way. Tonight's Central Windows weather window comes to you from Terrace. Vicky and Bruce sent us this because there's been so much rain and freezing rain in the area. These are the roads in Terrace. Thanks to Bruce for demonstrating that. <laughs> Looks like a good skater. <laughs> All right, thanks, Chris. Those what he's yeah. doing. Vicky says she had to wear cleats out there to prevent herself from slipping, mm -hmm. I think. So glad she stayed safe. All right, two things a lot of people love, and I know Squire does, and so does Sophie. There's uh, skateboarding and music, and the next story has to do with both. Yes, and it's uh, mainly because of the work of a local musician, Camby Croach, who has done a new song and a new video, which is important to him, important to his family, important to his friends, and important to Indigenous youth. No matter what the genre is, one song can mean different things to even the person who wrote it. 
In this case, Cam Croach and his song, Pieces of Me. It kind of became a little bit of a healing path for me. Um, I'm newly sober. I've been sober for about a year and a half now. And uh, it's, it was helpful with that because I got to get some things out and do it very clear-headedly. Cam has been around the heavy metal scene for three decades. His old band, Minority, shared stages with some of the biggest acts around. Pantera. Yeah, yeah, we backed up Pantera. And we played the very first Warp Tour ever, and that, that had everybody on it, like the Deftones and No Doubt. Another meaning for this song and video is raising money for Nations Skate Youth, helping skateboard legend Joe Buffalo get equipment for skateboarding into the hands of Indigenous youth. Being able to give them somewhat of a foundation, you know what I mean? Because there's so many different avenues you can go with skateboarding, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to be the best at it in order to, like, be involved with it, you know, you can make the clothing or you could make, you could edit the videos, you know, you could, like, build the skate park or whatever, there's so many avenues. Skateboarding was Joe Buffalo's avenue out of a life scarred with time spent at a residential school. He uses his fame and the picture of his residential ID on his board to shine a light on a dark time. It's just a part of history that you guys' history books have been revised to hide Canada's dark colonial history and all the atrocities that have happened. So to be able to educate people on this level, is a, it's the best. It's the truth. One more thing this song and video has meant to Cam is it allowed him to work with his son, who directed the video. Every time that uh, I was in school as a kid, everyone would be like, hey, what's, what's your dad doing? I'm like, my dad's a rock star. And then I just walk away. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, the fact that we can do this together and that we have this common ground. You know, it's, uh, it's been very important to me. And if you want to help the cause, uh, go to the uh, GoFundMe page, Canby Croach and Shot Caller, and you can help out with uh, Nation Skate Youth. Cool. That's a mic drop moment when you can say your dad's a rock star. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no Pretty kidding. Cool. Not many can. Yeah. But when you can, there's not much to say against it. That's right. Um, okay. Uh, the Canucks are still in the Sunshine State. They, of course, lost just outside of Miami last night. They play in Tampa tomorrow. Florida's nice, but uh, we're not... We're here to win. It's, it's, we're not here to, to sit on the beach. The goal line. The Canucks certainly had sand kicked in their face by Florida in what is the toughest stretch of the season for them so far. Also ahead tonight, the Vitamix blender being held hostage by cats. An entertaining drama playing out on social media. Quite a game last night, Squire, or yesterday, last night. <laughs> Either works, for other, actually, yes. For other reasons, but or anyway. you could have said Tuesday. <laughs> uh, well, whatever it was, uh, the 5-2 loss against Florida was the start of the toughest stretch of games the Canucks have had to face so far this season. It was the first game, actually, under Bruce Boudreau. The Canucks didn't get at least a point. And maybe there was a good excuse losing this game because Vancouver hadn't played since New Year's Day, so they were going to be rusty. But just the same, the Canucks know in order to make the playoffs, they have to be at their best against good teams, especially, every night. 
Huberdeau shoots and scores. Here's Lundell putting it in front. Backhander in. The wake-up call was coming, and the best team in hockey right now delivered it. Florida Panthers easily handling a Canucks team, opening up a massive five-game road trip where every tilt is against a Stanley Cup contending team. And then there's returning home to Vancouver afterwards to face the Panthers again, followed up by the St. Louis Blues. We're going we're gonna to definitely know where we are at the end of uh, the seven-game stint because the seventh game is at home against St. Louis too. So, I mean, and uh, I think they're one of the elite teams in the league. So, um, uh, these seven games are going to uh, say whether, you know, we've got a chance to do something serious here or whether we're going to have to fight and claw and put another eight to ten game win streak together just to make the playoffs. This was the Canucks' first regulation loss under their new head coach and the first time they failed to snag at least a point in the ten games with Boudreaux in charge. The points won't be any easier to come by either as next up is the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning who are tied with Florida for first in the Atlantic Division. Anytime you don't bring your best and, uh, you know, it's all about the response from our team. Um, that's the only thing we're focused on, not what's happened in the past. I think it's good that we're playing really good teams right now because we have to, uh, have to be at our best here and there's no excuses. Well, the Kraken have an excuse. They're an expansion team and they're not an expansion team like Vegas was. They're taking on Dallas tonight. Kelly Yarncroke with a goal here. Nice passing. That made it 1-1 in the first period, but... When you're an old, wily veteran like Joe Pavelski, you know where to stand, and even if the shot is flat-out missed, you can be there to knock it in. 3-2 Dallas leads in the second period. A lot of times with the Whitecaps, there's a lot of player movement in the offseason, trying to find the right mix for a new year. But the way Vancouver finished last season under Vanny Sartini, the revolving door for players has not been turning quite as much as it has been in the past. Uh, everyone knows that we have been in the second half of the season. We have been a, a top two team in the Western Conference. And we have already two editions, uh, three editions, plus the draft picks now. Uh, I have said very often that uh, if you have such a successful team and uh, you have done so good, you have to be very careful to, to um, touch this too much and to do too many changes because there's also the risk that you make things worse. We all know that we added uh, Ryan Gold or Brian White way late last season and they had a huge impact and, and have, uh, have confirmed that it was worth to wait for them. Obviously, we are still in the market. The transfer window just opened. We haven't even trained one time. Um, there, I expect more changes to come. All right, Premier League today. West Ham, fourth in the Premier League. And Jared Bowen would score a couple today, including this one in the 42nd minute. He'd add another in the 83rd, and they would beat the last place team, Norwich, 2-0. Uh, ben Roethlisberger will get at least one more game in as the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback before he likely retires from the NFL. It's Sunday, round one of the playoffs against Kansas City. Chiefs are 12.5-point favorites. So is what Roethlisberger is about to say just honesty? about his team's chances, or is it reverse psychology to fire up his teammates? You know, I would assume as a group you understand that, you know, we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. We're the, out of 14 teams I think are in, we're probably number 14. Um, we're a double-digit underdog in the playoffs. So let's just go play and have fun and see what happens. What do you think? You know what? It, it, I, I like it. 
I like what he said, and I know that if I know Pittsburgh, they're going to be fired up no matter what. So it's reverse psychology. Reverse psychology. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. All right. Up next, a pair of feisty felines that are the pandemic pick-me-up we could all use right now. It's the battle of wits and whiskers that's captivating the Internet right now. A trio of cunning cats holding their Vancouver Island owner's brand-new blender captive. It's been going on for nearly a month now, and as Kylie Stanton reports, the unfolding saga has made the felines at the center of it famous. This is George, destroyer of worlds. Curled upon the couch or under the table. Hi there, buddy. These are the usual spots cats tend to claim. Hi, Lando. But then there are the unusual. He's been up there for the last couple hours. In the case of the Gerson Neves household, it's here on top of this Vitamix box. It arrived on December 16th. I grabbed the box and set it down on the kitchen floor just for a quick second. Um, That was almost a month ago. And Max immediately hopped up. Gerson Neves pulled out her phone to snap a picture. Because I'm a cat person and we take pictures every time they sneeze. Then she and her wife, Nikki, decided to post it to this Facebook page, thinking a few people might see it and get a chuckle out of it and that Max would soon lose interest, and they could open the blender. I was wrong on both counts. 10,000 people had interacted with the post by the next day. Um, And while Max had jumped down, Lando was now on the Vitamix. In the time since, the shifts haven't stopped, and neither has the interest. People were demanding updates. All of it now being documented here on their Facebook page, day by day, week by week, and now into 2022. Posting for all those hoping or predicting a new start in the dawn of the new year, sadly you will have to look elsewhere, because ApplianceGate continues unabated. But it's not for lack of trying. Dear Vitamix. The couple drafted an open letter to the company asking for it to send along three empty Vitamix boxes copycats, if you will. I figured that they would know what was going on and get a giggle out of it. The team mobilized so fast as soon as we saw it because we realized this is such a fun story and we wanted to make sure that we could get Jessica and Nikki those boxes for decoys in order to get them to blend as soon as possible. The first box marked lies was put out, but it didn't go over well with the cats or their more than 23,000 followers. Universally, the response was, oh my God, no, drag this out. And it's not hard to see why. There is so much going on and it is almost universally negative. Find joy where it lives. And at the moment where it lives is in our kitchen on a Vitamix box. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well, you find it in the least likely places, right? Amazing. (laughs) Cats never like to share. Uh, Last word on weather before we go, Christy. So some moderate rain overnight, another 10 to 20 millimeters is all expected. But still, we could see a rise in the rivers. So make sure you're steering clear of those. All right. Thanks very much. And thanks, everyone, for watching. Have a great night. Good night, all.